Wednesday, this Wednesday night, this is our, our uh, weekly Wednesday night with uh, Brady and Trish. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be at our house Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And we'll have drinks and some snacks available. But if you have never been baptized, and I mean you've never been immersed in water, brought back up again. The Bible talks about like Jesus come up out of the water and the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him. There's a sense of being buried with an old way of life, raising to walk in a new life. If you've never been baptized that way, and you think, I, would want, I want to do that. I've been thinking about doing that. I've been, I've been just feeling like the Lord's leading me to do that. Well, if you could come to our house on Wednesday night. Now, it's not a deal breaker if you can't be there on Wednesday night, because we could talk about it maybe sometime during the week. But I want to make sure that I have a conversation with you about baptism so you know what it's about. And then next Sunday morning, we will have a portable baptismal here at the church ready to baptize. And we do have um, a few people that I've already talked with to them about that. So we think for sure we're going to have at least one, hopefully ten, you know, depending on who, who is God's putting that on their heart. So next Sunday morning, baptisms, bring a towel, bring a change of clothes. That's really all you'll need to be ready for that. But then Wednesday night, our house, 7 o'clock. Get a hold of us, find out where, that, where our house is if you don't know, and then come and let's talk. Let's just talk about baptism, let's get to know each other, I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, you, this morning the message is going to be incredible because I was anointed, anointed to preach this message by my granddaughter who was standing on my lap this morning, and she belched a little bit, and I thought, oh, that's sweet, and then she projectile threw up all over me. So, I've been anointed by Amelia to speak this morning. It was awesome, but we wiped it off real quick and nobody even knows, except now. So it was sweet. Well, let's, let's just jump in because this morning, I just want to tell you, this morning's message, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant, all right? So I need you to, everybody do this. Everybody take your hands like this, right? Reach down, grab two sides of the seatbelt, click it on, all right? Click it on, hold on, and get ready to go. You ready? Awesome. So I want you to, for, for one, turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew. Just go ahead and get there right now. Book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament of the Bible. The book of Matthew, go ahead and turn, open there. We'll, we'll obviously be in there just for, for a little while. And then there's one other place you could turn, you could put your finger in, and that would be 42, okay? Isaiah 42. Matthew and Isaiah 42, Okay. So let's, let's pick up where, where we left off. We left the people of Israel getting ready. Remember, they were in preparation for going into the promised land. Moses is about ready to die. He chooses a new leader. They, they appoint Joshua, who was one of the two guys that came back from looking at the land, who felt God has given us this land. He was courageous, and he was going to be the leader of the people. So they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so Joshua eventually leads them into the promised land where they were ruled for a while by judges. They decided that we need some people to make judgments for us, to decide what's right and what's wrong. And even though God had given them everything they needed for right and wrong, they feel like they needed a person to tell them that. So they appointed judges. Eventually a kingdom is established and a king is, is crowned and his name is David. And David is a good king. He's like the best king of all the kings. Uh, obviously before Jesus comes on the scene. But he's like the best king. And his son Solomon 
uh, is, comes into the picture as well. And they give us an example of what God's rule in our lives should look like. This is the example. Solomon builds a temple where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. And the temple becomes a place where people gather to worship. The, the Ark of the Covenant was this, this box that was created that had manna that God had provided. And it had the Ten Commandments. And it, had, it was literally the presence of God in, in the, inside the temple. Solomon dies, though, and a kingdom gets divided into ten tribes that go to the north, two tribes that um, go to the south. The, northern, the north tribe is called Israel. The southern tribe is called Judah. All right? So you get that? Two tri- separation. Ten tribes go to the north called Israel. Two, there's a whole story of how that all happened. That's obviously in the, in the rest of the story of the Old Testament. But from a divine viewpoint... This division was a judgment, really, on, on people not keeping God's commands. Specifically, the commands prohibiting idolatry. Like God told them, do not worship and follow other gods. I am the one true God. Follow me. And the people didn't listen. Like, oh, there's such a common story all throughout the Old Testament. And then the, there was this division. From a human viewpoint, this division was a result of really just, just discontent and discord and political unrest among the people. Just people couldn't get along. And so, two of the tribes went one direction, ten went the other. And it really comes down to this. Sin brings division. Division in our hearts, in our minds, division in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our world. Sin brings division. So both kingdoms, though, end up getting destroyed. They just get taken over by um, the northern, by the Assyrians, and the Babylonians take over the southern kingdom. Throughout some time, obviously, survivors are taken into exile, into, into Babylon. And then for the next 70 years, that's where they're at. Until God chooses a remnant, it's a smaller group of the tribe to take them out of captivity. And they go back to Jerusalem. And when they go back to Jerusalem, what do they do? Well, they go back to restore the glory that they had when David was king. And they were longing for a king like David. And they, they go to rebuild the temple so the story of the Old Testament is like a story without an ending. And the people are waiting. You've got to understand this. The people are waiting for the king to come. God, send us another king like David to lead us. So now we have the New Testament. Okay, so just a quick thing about the New Testament. 27 books. It's a collection of 27 different books. One divine author. We know that's God. Approximately nine human authors. Well, I say approximately because we don't know exactly for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's some real debate about whether it was Paul or someone else. So nine human authors. Historically accurate because there were actually eyewitnesses who saw these things with their own eyes, touched it, smelled it, felt it, lived it, and then they wrote about it. Historically, um, I said historically accurate. Textually authentic because there is more manuscripts to to confirm and affirm the new testament writings than any other book that's ever been written in in the world more evidence to say this is real this is true it actually happened than any other book ever been written but yet there are still people who want to doubt that it's true and we want to believe what some other poet or other author wrote even though we weren't there to see it either but we want to believe it's true yeah, the New Testament is accurate, most accurate book ever written. And it was basically all written in the first century, for the first hundred years of when they started 
keeping time as AD, uh, first hundred years. So the timing of the writing of this book was perfect. Perfect because there was a common language in the land. Think about it. If we were all in this room and we all spoke 20 different languages, how hard would it be to communicate with each other? It'd be difficult. Well, in this, in this culture, what was going on at this particular time when the Romans had kind of began to rule this area, there was one common language for the New Testament to be written in so that everybody could read it and understand it. You think that was a coincidence that God's timing had this all happen right at that particular moment? I don't think so. There was a Roman uh, road system. There was a time of peace going on so that people could travel freely all throughout the Roman world. Perfect opportunity for the, the uh, disciples to take the gospel, the good news, and be able to go freely throughout and go to all the different synagogues and different places where they could teach the gospel, the, the good news of this king that was coming, Jesus. Worshiping and waiting, the people would gather in these synagogues and churches, if you will, waiting for the Messiah, their king, to come, waiting for the glory of King David to be restored to the people. So I want you to try to put yourself shoes of the, the people who are being written to in the book of Matthew. They're all in church and they're waiting, looking up and waiting, looking around and waiting. Kind of like us as we look up and we look around and we wait for the glory to be restored and for Jesus to come again. So there's 400 years, 400 years of silence, and then the people who were walking in darkness see a great light. And at just the right time, God interjects Jesus into our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. No longer distant, no longer waiting, Jesus comes. The word of the Lord came to the people through the Word made flesh. Jesus was called the Word made flesh and He made His dwelling among the people. The King comes, though in a very unusual way, <laughs> the King comes. So we can divide uh, the New Testament up into three main parts. You have the story of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the birth of the church is in the book of Acts, which the book of Acts is, richly, is actually an extension of the book of Luke. And then you have the next 21 books in the New Testament. They're all letters about the story, explaining it. This, you know, this is how you should live in this story. This is, the, this is the good news of Jesus. He comes, he establishes the church, and now this is how you should live. He gives us the way to live. And then there's the conclusion, the book of Revelation, which is a whole other topic for another day, <laughs> but it's there and for a purpose. There is going to be a conclusion to the story, ladies and gentlemen to the story that we're living right now. It's going to be a conclusion. The first four books are written uh, for the same primary purpose, really, but from different viewpoints, okay? Four different authors, different, same purpose, different viewpoints, and written for different audiences. I think it's good for us to understand these different audiences. So let us look at the book of Matthew, okay? So the book of Matthew, the author of the book of Matthew is who? Whose name is? Matthew, all right? So it's not always that clear in Scripture, but the author of this particular book, his name is Matthew. Matthew is a un, unsuspecting <laughs> author of a book like this because Matthew is a tax collector. He's an unlikely person that God pours himself out or into and out to other people. Unlikely that God would choose this person. And ladies and gentlemen, 
that should be good news to you and to me. Because you might feel an unlikely, like an unlikely person that God would want to do anything significant in you and through you. And remember, I've been talking about this a lot. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe who tell, anybody who tells you you're just a grasshopper. You're not. You're more significant than that. God has a purpose and a plan. And so through this unlikely character, Jesus chooses Matthew. And Matthew writes a story to the people. Now he's writing to a Jewish audience. And he's speaking to them. He's passionate about reaching the Jewish people. And, he's, and basically these people come to a crossroads where they need to decide, do we follow Jesus or do we keep waiting for someone else? Do we follow Jesus who Matthew believes is the king of this new kingdom that is being established or do we wait and follow someone else? Every day we come in contact with people who need to make a decision. Do they follow Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus or should they wait for something better to come along? They're looking for something better. Well, we, I believe, there's nothing better. <laughs> nothing better. So Matthew wants the people to see that Jesus is the king that they've been waiting for. So remember, they're longing for the glory days of Israel, the glory days of David. And Matthew's like, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. He's establishing it right now. So Jesus is from the line of David, which is by no accident. And he's the fulfillment of these ancient prophecies. So look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, there's a genealogy. It starts with a, a verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was like the son of Joseph or the son of God. Well, I didn't know he was the son of David, the son of Abraham. But it's a, it's a family thing. <laughs> it's looking back generations. And actually it says there are 14, look at verse 17 in chapter 1. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to the Christ. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east, or from the east, came to Jerusalem, and they asked this question, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he disturbed? There's only room for one king. There's only room for one king. Just a little side note, your life, there's only room for one king. And it's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. And I sat on the throne of my life for a while and it was an ugly kingdom. It's a very self-centered kingdom. It was all about me, kingdom. And there's still like that pressure being drawn back to that life. I feel it every day. But there's only room for one king to sit and throne. And so King Herod was disturbed all in Jerusalem too. When he had called together all the people and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Christ was to be born. And they say, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you, listen to this, will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. A powerful, powerful picture. It says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I might go and worship him. That's not what he really wanted to do. <laughs> but after they had heard, that the king, um, heard the king, they went on their way. 
And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they did exactly what you should do for a king. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country, to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I, come, until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child, is going to try to kill him. Isn't it amazing that he was told to go back to Egypt? Didn't the people come out of Egypt? <laughs> but if you realize this, actually they went to Egypt in the first place in the Old Testament story to, to be saved, to find food, and to be, to be reserved. So Jesus, they go back to Egypt. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so the prophecy was fulfilled, and Jesus comes out of Egypt. The focus in the book of Matthew is on the kingdom of God, Okay? So may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is what we pray. I love what John says um, about Jesus in Matthew 3. If you look down just a little bit, it says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's here. It's at hand. You can touch it now. You can reach out and you can experience it for yourself. Look at Jesus in uh, chapter 4, 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, John got put in prison for preaching that message, Jesus returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went in, or he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea and along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus preaches this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Stop, turn around, and let's go a different direction. There's a new king in town. And there's a new kingdom, kingdom being established. So what I want to talk with you this morning about what is life supposed to be like in this kingdom and here by the way this is the practical application of the message this morning I'm going to give it to you early on this is life in the kingdom and this comes from the book of Matthew now, I'm not making this stuff up just so it'll sound good but this is scripture based thoughts coming from the book of Matthew in this kingdom the humble and faithful are the ones who hold the keys to the kingdom those who mourn in this kingdom are actually comforted. The meek, which is, by the way, meekness is great strength under control, are actually strong enough to inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this kingdom are filled up. Those who show mercy receive mercy. In this kingdom, the pure in heart get to ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. In Psalm 24, it says, Clean hands and pure hearts receive blessing from the Lord, and they receive vindication from God their Savior. In this kingdom, peacemakers 
are valuable in this kingdom. Actually, peacemakers have a special title in the kingdom. They're called sons of God. Subjects in this kingdom are like salt, bringing flavor to a dull and tasteless world. And they are like light that shines before the world so that others will see their good deeds and they will praise the king. It's not because they are such great subjects, but it's because they serve such a worthy king. Now, worrying is not allowed in the kingdom. Worrying is not allowed. Like fear and worry, it's unacceptable in the presence of this king. Loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you because of your love for the king is required. Prayer and fasting is a is very important way of life in this kingdom because it helps us focus on the king. Starting on Wednesday, starting on Wednesday, as your pastor, I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing and motivated to do this. Now, this is, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to encourage you. Starting Wednesday the 10th, 40 days leading up to Easter, we're going to pray. There's other churches and other pastors in this community, and they're going to be praying the same thing. It's called Seek God for the City. And we're going to encourage you to pray. And if you feel led and you feel like God's speaking to you about this, I encourage you to fast. Okay, now don't freak out by that word and think, oh, that means I can't eat for 40 days. No, I mean, if you feel like God's telling you not to eat for 40 days, obey, and good luck as you go. God bless you as you go. I don't think I could do that. But I think there might be some things in our life that we could say no to and put aside for 40 days in order so we could say yes to the king, whatever that happens to be. I know in my own heart what it is that I feel like God is asking me to do, and I'll, and I'll try to be obedient to that. And so whatever you feel like maybe God's calling you to do, listen, this is not for the faint of heart. Don't press into this and, and do this if you, don't, if you don't really feel led to do it. Because it'll be a challenge. It'll be a battle to pray consistently and to, to put things aside in your life. Because here's, here's what it is. Whatever it is you choose to fast from, as soon as you feel tempted to eat that or watch that or whatever, that's when you focus your thoughts and your, your heart on the king. Because then you'll develop this pattern, this habit of just really zeroing in and, and worshiping him. So whatever it got it is that calls you to do. Like I'm not going to say what you should fast from. You decide in your heart. Because the Bible, Jesus says in, in this book, in Matthew, he says when you fast, not if you fast. And when you fast, don't tell everybody. No, hey, yeah, I'm fasting today. You know, like, yeah, you know, you know just, just say, hey, no, no, thank you. I don't want to eat it today. Or I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to eat healthy or whatever it is. Because you don't want to draw attention to you, right? You want to draw attention to the king. So there's 50 of these books up here. And if we run out, this is just a prayer guide. You can act, there's an actually app for this, Seek God for the City. You can look it up. There's an app for it. You can just do it with your phone if you'd rather do that or your tablet, whatever. But this is a guide to help you walk down that road together. And we'll pray these prayers together as a church. And I've noticed something recently. Every time I ask the church to pray, the enemy opposes it. Quick story, I was having a conversation with a little boy um, on Wednesday night about giving his life to Jesus. And in the process of me having this conversation, my phone was getting blown up again by a guy falsely accusing me of things that are just not true. And like, isn't that something? Here I am, like trying to just honor God and just be obedient and you get this nonsense. It's just noise. We've got to silence the noise, and we do that by prayer. 
Okay? We want to see this church grow and our community be changed. It's only going to happen when we pray. I just promise you, it's the only way. So we can't do anything more than pray until we do that. All right? So this is a, it's a guide for you to use. If we, I, I can get more of these and bring them back next week if we run out. All right, that's a commercial for prayer. In this kingdom, those who are weary actually find rest for their souls. Instead of carrying their burden of guilt and shame and unforgiveness, they can go to the king, get this picture, go to the king, exchange those things for garments of praise and oil of joy. You talk about essential oils. <laughs> There's nothing better than the oil of joy. Instead of spirit of despair that God wants us to have, this king is calling us to that. Forgiveness is taken very seriously by this king. If he's willing to show us grace, then he expects us as his subject to show grace to those around us. In this kingdom, things are upside down. Upside down. The first shall be last, and the last are first. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be a servant. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Subjects of this kingdom find their life by actually losing their life for the king's sake. They must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow the king. And in this, there is great reward. They will receive a hundred times more than they're ever asked to give. Think about that. A hundred times more than he ever asked you to give. There's an emphasis in this, this kingdom about eternity and eternal life. Because one of the things that we get in exchange for giving is eternity with the king. The emphasis in this kingdom while we're here on earth, though, is caring for those that are in need, feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, inviting the stranger in. America better get ready to welcome the stranger in because they're coming at an alarming rate. And how is the church going to respond? Maybe all these empty seats belong to people who are going to be forced out of their country because of their faith, and they'll have nowhere to go except the church inviting them in. And if that scares you... (laughs) If you're afraid to get your hands messy, then maybe somewhere more comfortable is where you should be. But I have a feeling that's going to happen in the church in America. We're going to be asked by the king to welcome other subjects that are different than we are into the kingdom and into our presence. The two greatest commandments in this kingdom sum up the ten commandments given in the first kingdom. Love God, love others. Real practical video that really just touches my heart. It's not... It's not the most theologically sound (laughs) uh, video that I could find. But I think in our culture that we live in today, there's a profound message. And I want you to turn the lights down. And I want you to just see this this video. It's It's a video by Tim McGraw called Humble and Kind. The world needs more of that. It's hard to be those things without knowing who it is that we do those things for. (laughs) Do it for the king. Jesus was born to be a king. What kind of king is he? That's how we'll finish our time this morning. What kind of king is he? He is a servant king. The prophet Isaiah spoke about it in Isaiah chapter 42. Prophet says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. 
He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. He was humble and he was kind. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Which, by the way, that's you and me. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing praise to the Lord, a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth. He's a servant king. He came to the throne in the most unusual way. He's not your usual king. He's a loving king. His kingdom is established by love. Everything he says and everything that he does is out of love. He is a king who asks you to give up everything to come follow him. He's a king with power and authority unlike any king that has ever sat on the throne before. He has the power to control the elements along with the compassion to hold a little child. Think about that. Jesus knew meekness, power under great control. He's a perfect king. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was just a man. But he was tempted and he failed. Jesus was tempted, but it was without sin because he's a perfect king. He's a healing king. He's not afraid to touch the unclean people in the kingdom. He's a humble and gentle king. Like I said, his yoke, his teaching, is what his yoke is, is not a burden for us to bear, but it's a place for us to come and find rest. He is a king that walked out what he talked about. He's a forgiving king, and he calls us to forgive those who have wronged us, ladies and gentlemen. And I promise you, that's probably one of the things we struggle with the most. We sit here today, being forgiven, but yet holding on so tightly to what this thing we feel like we have a right to hold on to. And he's saying, let it go. Bring it, actually just bring it to me. I'll take it and I'll give you rest. He's a king that deliver, uh, delivers us from the two greatest enemies of all man, and that's sin, and that's death. He is a king that was willing to sacrifice his own life so that we might live. Ladies and gentlemen, our king is alive. He's a king that is coming again to establish a new kingdom, one unlike anything the earth has ever seen before. It's a kingdom that will last forever. He's the king who deserves your worship and your allegiance. So as we finish our time together, how do you become a part of this kingdom? Sign me up. What, what do I need to do? Well, it's simple. It's as simple as a fourth grade little boy puts his hope and his trust in Jesus when he heard the gospel, the good news. 
of this king, this good news of this story. So you put your faith and you trust him. You confess your allegiance to the king by saying that, Jesus, you are my king, you're my Lord, and I believe in my heart that not only did you die for me, but you rose again and you conquered death. No other king can say that. Other kings may have conquered other people, but they never conquered the death that conquered them. <laughs> Show everyone else that you're a part of this kingdom. If you've never been baptized, go through the water next week. Show everybody else, like, this is the kingdom I belong to. Live in the kingdom in the way that I spoke about before. And then introduce others to this king. Let us pray. Father, thank you for establishing the kingdom in our hearts, in our lives, as it is in heaven. Thank you for giving us the spirit that lives in us to help us live in this kingdom. Thank you for the spirit that reveals to us that we need this king. God, I pray right now for those that are here this morning that you would continue this dialogue that you're having with them in their hearts and their minds. And I pray, Father, that uh, if they have not signed up by putting their faith and trust in you, that they would do that today. They would show everybody else that they belong to this kingdom. Teach us, Lord, to be humble and kind to those around us so that other people will see Jesus in us. We pray this in his name. Amen. You just need prayer for anything this morning, whatever it is God's putting on your heart, then come and I will pray with you. Others will come and pray with you. And that's what this time 